Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our March 9th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. Appreciate you all tuning in to this show. And as usual, I'm going to do my very best to make it informative, give you some good data and perspective that will help you make good money decisions, both on the investment side, personal finance side saving side, spending side, etc. And in today's world, it's even more challenging with inflation high, uh, you have geopolitical concerns, and there's a lot of uncertainty. But as always, there's a lot of opportunity as well. Opportunity to put yourself on a better path and take that next step in your own version of financial freedom. So I'm Justin Klein. I look forward to doing this show today and answering your finance and investment related questions and giving you my unbiased answers. No hidden agenda, just the facts as I see them. Now, with the market transition, clearly we're in a new era. I've been saying that for a while now. I still get calls about uh, people falling in love with tech stocks and growth stocks, even though it's no longer working. And you have to adjust to the realities. Market doesn't care what you want. Market doesn't care what you think. Doesn't. Doesn't care what I think. It's going to do what it's going to do. And you can either get on board with the market's reality, or you can fight the tape. Fight the trends. And let me tell you, I've been doing this for over 20 years. Fighting the tape, finding, fighting the trends, not a great idea. That's why they say the trend is your friend. So that's what I'm going to try to do today is to get you on the right path or keep you on the right path. And hopefully, if you're listening for an extended period of time, you're already on the right path. But that doesn't mean that you can't accelerate your pace that you that you're taking and get there faster get to your goals faster we only have we all have one life to live right we all want to reach our goals faster so we can enjoy the fruits of our work for longer periods of time so that's what i am here on this podcast to do which is to operate with my mission statement which is independent thinking and shared success 
So no matter what I'm speaking about, once again, it is all presented without bias. Just give you the facts as I see them in front of me. A lot of data to look up, to analyze. And I've been doing this a long time, over 20 years. So the perspective hopefully will help you. So I encourage you to reach out to me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape this show. So interact with me right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, that's fine too. You can leave your message on our Invest Talk voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888-99-CHART. So let's head over to our first listener question now. Hello, Steve or Justin. I was calling about the ticker symbol DISH, D-I-S-H, and the ticker symbol C-L-F, Cat, Larry, Frank. You could uh, look at these and tell me what you think. Thank you. All right. So the first one is Dish Network, and they provide direct satellite service nationwide to 11 million customers. The issue here is their business is in decline, and the chart is in decline as well. So I don't see a lot of excitement here. Yes, you're probably looking, it probably looks cheap because it earned $3.79 last year. This year, it's only supposed to make $2.75, and next year, $1.91. So based on next year's earnings, it's trading at a 15 multiple. When it's in negative growth, I'm not paying that much for that. It doesn't pay a dividend either. So absolutely no on Dish Network. Now, CLF, that is Cleveland Cliffs, and it is one of the largest uh, steel and iron ore pellet suppliers in North America. And... I like it. Uh, I, I like it. It's earning a ton of money, $5 per share, and it's only trading at $25. Now, next year, it's supposed to have lower earnings, and the earnings are going to be all over the place. But based on uh, moving, moving the... See, this is something everyone has to understand, is our cheap energy, as long as we continue to, to harvest it, whether that's natural gas or oil or most ideally uh, nuclear, our cheap energy compared to the rest of the world is a huge benefit to our industrial base. And Cleveland Cliffs is right in the heart of that. So I'm going to give this one a, a thumbs up. The technicals are strong. It's had a pullback the last couple of days, but still remains above all the major moving averages. And I like the overall valuation. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Three financial moves that could benefit high earners that are not yet wealthy. Call them Henry's. And we're going to go over some, some basics. Uh, this is kind of going back to personal finance, but uh, it's always good to check those, those boxes. In addition, how does this price oil spike compare to history? and economic impact. We're going to look at that. And then what are real world people doing when it comes to higher gas prices? How is it affecting their habits? Because as we know, everything affects the market. So when oil prices go up, people make changes and that impacts their spending on other things as well. So we're going to look at that. And then lastly, food. We're going to look at the food crisis worldwide and why this is the next worry. You think oil prices are difficult to, to watch and gas prices. 
food prices are next on the docket for price spikes. And we're going to look at the relative food insecurity over in China and what that means for the rest of the world. So that's what's on the docket for me today. But ultimately, I want to hear what's on your mind. So give me a call, 888-99-CHART. Now, let's take a look at the market. The S&P was up 107 points, about 2.5% on the day. And this was a bit of a relief rally. We hit some major support. You had growth outperforming after, uh, you know, it's been underperforming for, for most of the, the year. So you had a bit of a snapback rally. And this is, this is what you kind of should expect is oscillating between oversold and overbought. Uh, and in a bear market or uh, a difficult market, you often get rallies that are swift and powerful. Short covering rallies, especially, you know, is, is really what's driving it. And so that's what you're seeing right now, as you saw today. Uh, but it, what, the good thing is it saved the market from a major breakdown. Closed yesterday right at the, some crucial support. And it was going to be very interesting to see how if there was follow through to the downside today. And it was a, a nice snapback rally on, I think, hopes. Uh, President Zelensky at Ukraine said that uh, they were hopeful for uh, talks and and maybe come to some sort of peace agreement that still has not come to fruition. But at least there there was hope, uh, and and that's really what the market traded on. And when and, and this just goes to show you, just any glimmer of hope is going to spark a short curving rally, and that's what you really got today. And that's why yesterday when I had, or, or on Monday, uh, we had a caller that said, you know, should I buy SH short the S and P? I said, you know, it's already down. You're into support levels. Is, the, is this a good risk versus reward area in the, in the near term? Probably not because you could have a quick, uh, short covering rally. And that's what you saw today. Now, Steve and I are grateful for your podcast support and our free downloads will always continue, but I want to make sure, make you aware of two other ways to find our material and our unbiased guidance. Best Talk has a YouTube channel and an Instagram following. We're building out more content on both platforms. So head over to YouTube or Instagram and search Invest Talk. Remember, use two T's and tell your friends. The Invest Talk phone lines are open, so call now at 888 chart Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call Invest Talk 888-99 chart. Let's go to Sid in Toronto looking at VHI. Hi Justin, good evening. How are you? Thanks Doing for taking pretty my well. Call. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Justin, I have it in my radar for quite some time, and I'm just looking to buy it at the right price. Uh, some parameters are giving the mixed signals, and I'm not able to decide whether this is a good stock for the long term. They have some depth and something, so I just like your feedback, and thank you so much for the wonderful guidance. No, no problem. All right, this is Valhi, V-A-L-H-I is how you spell it. The symbol is V-H-I. About a $700 million market cap company. Its earnings historically are pretty up and down. I think that's the, the big issue here is that uh, sometimes they make nice solid uh, margins and sometimes 
their negative from 2013 to 2016. Three out of those four years, they were uh, margins were negative, um, and they've uh, certainly recovered, but not to previous highs you saw in 2018. Um, and that's my big issue. I don't love companies that are so inconsistent. And this shows that they are what we would call a price taker. It's really up to the market what what they're uh, going to get for their product. And what they do is they provide chemicals, security products, waste management systems, and real estate development and management through various sub subsidiaries. So, um, yeah, it looks like it's, it's all over the place, but it's... Uh, Primary business is titanium dioxide pigment, and that makes the majority of the company's revenue. Huh. So this is fairly well diversified. It has a presence in Europe, North America, Asia, and the rest of the world. So uh, international exposure, which is typically good in this environment, it's actually not so great. Um, technicals are poor, below all the major moving averages, although got a little bit of bounce today. Um, I'm going to say I don't love it. I just don't like that inconsistency. It's uh, this is the type of name though. It's ripe for spin-offs. Like why are you owning so many different names? There are different types of companies under one umbrella. It's a mishmash conglomerate. Right? You're a chemical producer, you also store and dispose of radioactive and toxic waste. I guess that could be a positive that if we pivot to nuclear more, that that's going to be beneficial for them. They also have real estate management services. So random. Um, so I don't like the incoherence of their business, the up and down of their business. So I'm going to pass on VHI. All right. Thanks for the call. 888-99 chart, 888-992-4278. Now let's pivot to our iTunes questions. And we're going to talk uh, Luke from NYC says, what is your valuation for Netflix to buy? Justin recently said 350. The stock is hovering uh, above that price. Is that still the price to enter? I don't know why if I ever said 350. Uh, I might have said support at 350. And you, you started to see that <clears throat> around these levels. So that's certainly true. From a valuation standpoint, I still think there's more downside to go. And this is another example of how people are still still hung up on these tech stocks. Uh, Netflix still has a $159 billion market cap, and they've never really been able to produce a lot of free cash flow. In fact, it's always been pretty, the only time they did produce free cash flow was when, during the pandemic, when they couldn't, they couldn't produce any shows. And as soon as things back opened back up last year, well, the free cash flow went negative again, started issuing more shares. Um, and so, <clears throat> yeah, our value, I wouldn't buy Netflix until 200 and it's at 350. That's where it gets somewhat attractive from a valuation standpoint. So I'm passing on Netflix here. Now we're heading into a break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments.
Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline, three financial moves that could benefit high earners that are not yet wealthy. And this is, even if you aren't a high earner, I think there's a lot of lessons here. Uh, now, what's most in the financial community call Henry's, which are high earners, not yet rich. Um, and there's typically a lot of reasons why they're not quite there. Maybe it's early on in their earning years. Uh, but mainly it's not developing a broader plan. Now, most blame it on too high taxes, high cost of living, low savings, etc. But once again, it's really about spending less than you make. So this is one thing that Steve uh, taught me and my grandpa taught me early on is most people have a spending problem. They don't have an earnings problem. Most people say, well, if I can just earn more money, uh, I'll, you know, I'll get to where I want to be. I just need to earn more money. And the reality is that your spending goes up typically with your earnings in a similar uh, growth trajectory. And that means your overall savings level typically doesn't go up very much. For most people, when the only way their savings go up is because they're they're earning more and they're saving the same percentage of their earnings in their 401k. That's why, frankly, 401ks are the best savings vehicle for most people because people don't have the habits in order to uh, save outside of their retirement accounts. So that's number one. And... The standard advice when it comes to your 401k is to make sure you're getting your company match, taking full advantage of that. Then contributing to an IRA. So $6,000 per year, more hopefully, uh, or if you're over 50, that's 7,000 a year. But if you're a high earner, you shouldn't stop there. Especially if you are in, uh, you're, you're one that has, uh, a lifestyle that you're going to need to keep up in retirement it means that your 401k savings, your IRA savings, that's not going to be enough. You're going to have to find other avenues to save. Now, typically that's just a simple brokerage account. And there are different ways you can make that tax efficient as well, which that's more devil in the details. The next thing is lower your tax bill. You can move obviously, but the main thing is, Hiring a good accountant. I know a lot of people don't want to pay an accountant. They want to use TurboTax. Uh, but if you own a home, uh, especially if you have your own business, uh, a CPA absolutely should be on your docket of professionals you should work with. A few hundred dollars, it'll save you a lot more in the long run. Now, certainly saving in 401ks, IRAs, that's going to lower your tax bill. But things like HSA, health savings accounts, those also are great ways to avoid taxes and have money set aside for some health expenses. And then once you're over 65, you can take that money out for non-medical expenses as well. So it's kind of a de facto additional savings account. But overall, it's really about creating a plan and laying out your goals and earmarking different assets for those particular goals. And that's where most people have trouble is because they 
are just kind of living. They aren't earmarking, okay, I have this goal. In two years, I want to do X, Y, and Z. I want to buy this house. Or I want to go on a trip. Or I want to retire at a certain time. And modeling out what that looks like going forward is extremely important. It's part of that, that habit. Reaching financial freedom is about consistent habits, okay? And you need to stay on those habits. And to do that, you need goals. So those are some things that you can do to no longer be a Henry. All right, let's go to Lewis in Seattle looking at Keys, K-E-Y-S. Hey, Justin. So, yeah, I like this company's cash flow, mm -hmm. but I do think it's very overpriced. But with the stocks were coming down this past couple of weeks, I was kind of hoping they would come down to a price point that is a good buy. And I'm just wondering, what do you feel is a good price point to enter? Okay. Looking at Keysight, Keysight, and this Keysight Technologies, and frankly, this is a, a name that's on our watch list. So you're you're looking at the right type of company. Uh, it is in the tech space, but it is a consistent cash flower. Um, and what they do is they produce tools, uh, measurement solutions for manufacturing chips. So in the process of chips, they're, they're, they're in uh, selling equipment um, and services in that space. <clears throat> the problem is, is that it's going to be tied to the semiconductor uh, industry. And while it's definitely a good company, our fair value is closer to, uh, it's is kind of around here. It's probably fair, it's probably at value. So I don't think it's cheap. It's at decent support but I'd love it right around about 128. That's where major support is. So that's where I would pick Keysight up, but I like what you're looking at. Now on the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline. The Department of Justice might be looking at a criminal obstruction charge for a FANG stock. So Steve will get to that story tomorrow, but for now I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership 
for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. Love your show. My question is about capital gains tax. Let's say I buy 10 shares of a company at $100 for each share, on January 1st, 2021, so I've made a $1,000 investment. The company's share price has a nice gain over the calendar year of 50%, so the stock's at $150 uh, at the end of the year, and I've now got $1,500. So a year later, I've got an unrealized gain of $500. Then I buy 10 more shares at $150, so I'm adding $1,500 to my position. So I now have $3,000 and my unrealized gain is still $500. My question is, if I now sell my position a few days later and I have my $500 profit, am I taxed as short-term or long-term capital gains? I made my profit from holding the original position for over a year, but I'm now selling the entire position after only holding it in its entirety for a few days. I'm a little confused on this and I hope that question makes sense. Look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. Thanks. Yes, it absolutely makes sense. And the simple answer is it would be long-term capital gains because what you're talking about are different share lots. And that's kind of the vernacular within the industry is that you have two sets of, uh, of you have 20 shares after those both of those purchases. And they're two different lots. And in fact, what you could do is... You could sell, say a week later, you went, no, nah, I don't want to have that much. I still want only 10, but I don't want to take my profits. I don't want to take my gains. 
right? Uh, you can do what is called last in first out LIFO. There's FIFO and LIFO. And this is something, if you ever took an accounting class, you'll, you'll know that this is, uh, uh, something that, uh, accountants have to, to deal with and, and figure out is, 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 are, are you talking about the first lot, the, the first lot that you're taking out or the last lot that you're taking out? And so what you can actually do, say the stock, uh, you know, a week after you bought that second uh, set was still at $150 per share, you sell it and you tell your broker before you actually make the trade, I want this to be last in first out. And you sell it. And what that's going to do is sell your last lot that you purchased. And because you bought it at 150, you sold it at 150, you're flat. Okay. And you still have that long-term gain sitting there. Uh, whenever you sell it, you'll, you'll get charged that, that long-term capital gain, or you can do the opposite. Maybe you do want first in first out. You do want to take that capital gain for whatever reason that year, maybe you're a low income earner for that year or whatever. And that's the lot you want to be sold. And that's standard. That's your standard, the way the, uh, your bro most brokerage accounts are set up is first in first out because they, they want to try to get you to sell um, your your oldest holding, right? Your oldest lot in hopes that that is your, that is long-term capital gains. But you can, you can change that. You should be able to change that within your brokerage account. So that's how you have to think about capital gains in different lots. And that's what you're speaking about, different lots that you've purchased throughout the years. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8892 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, let's look at this oil spike compared to history. And there have been many spikes of uh, crude oil over 100% in one calendar year 1974, 1980, 2001, 1990, and 2008. Now, most of those have been followed by a recession, except for 2017. That was another time when it doubled. Now, what is this a better comparison for? Well, it's probably closer to 1974 and 1979. Now, if you remember 73, 74, that was the Arab oil embargo, which is similar to what you're experiencing today. Right, an embargo on Russian produced oil. Now, the Fed at that time was trying to catch up with inflation. So they were tightening policy. Does that sound familiar? And what happened was stagflation took hold and they kept raising rates. So there's a kind of a double whammy, high energy prices and higher interest rates. Now, I remember this was, 08 was my first major economic recession. I was around, I was, I was, I was in the business in 2000, um, but that was concentrated a lot on the tech stocks, not so much on the economy, um, but I remember in 08, you know, my grandfather was still around and, and, uh, and we, we talked about what does this feel like? What is this like? And he said, it's very similar to 73, 74. And that. 43% drop in the S&P in 12 months was the most since the Great Depression and the most uh, until 2008. 
Now, the other parallel would be the Iran revolution in 1979. And that didn't actually hit stocks very hard. That's the first time prices of the pump hit a dollar a gallon, adjusted for inflation. But stocks did pretty well. The S&P was up 12% in 1979, about in line with what inflation was. Interest rates were up, but there are some stark differences. First off, 73, 74, that was kind of post the nifty 50 uh, kind of stock mini bubble. Very similar to what you've seen over the past couple of years where with Fang names, I think of Fang and, and even uh, really indexing uh, craze, very similar to the nifty 50. It's just now it's indexed or by the Fangs and you're fine. Uh, back then it was by the nifty 50 in the late 60s. And that caused a lot of overvaluation in the market in 73. And so you're coming from high valuations and that's similar to today. One big difference though, is how reliant the economy is on oil. The energy intensity of our GDP. Now from 73 to 1980, the energy intensity of the economy dropped in half from 40% to 20. And since then, it's had again, to 10%. Why? Because we're just more efficient, cars are more efficient, uh, energy plants, or you know, utility plants are more efficient, our refrigerators are more efficient, right? So our, our, our economy just doesn't need as much energy per unit of GDP as it did back then. So I think that is probably the biggest savior right now. And I think the one thing that would really cause a spiral in, in markets downward would be a Fed policy that is tightening aggressively into this. And they've hinted at that they're going to tighten aggressively. But what's the reality? And I think the reality on the ground will be that they won't be quite as aggressive as they're, they're thinking because they don't want financial instability. And that's most important for the Fed. Let's go to Victoria in New Jersey. Looking, She wants to talk about the portfolio management. Yeah. Hi. Thanks so much for taking my call. Um, I'm calling because I'm thinking about how to rebalance my portfolio. I have pretty significant exposure to S&P and international indexes. And I know you've been talking a lot about moving over to commodities, basic materials, um, other more defensive industries. So I'm wondering, um, should I just hold on to my current um, – allocations and then slowly increase in commodities over time? Or should I start to consider selling right now? I would consider selling uh, because you're, you're you want to be nimble. Uh, these, these moves, as you've seen recently, they're fast and they're swift. And the, you know, you, you sound pretty young. So you know, over time, you know, the, the situation three years from now, five years from now might be very different. You might already have uh, energy prices and commodity prices have doubled and tripled from here. Okay. Um, So I want to be allocated more towards basic materials as quickly as possible. Remember, the S&P is less than 4% energy. Historically, it's closer to 8 on average. So I want to be at least 8. I want to be 10, 12, 15% of my portfolio in energy. Same with basic materials. I want to be in the teens. Real estate. 
utilities. These are, are ones that you want to be much higher than the, 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 uh, the indices. And so, yeah, I would be selling and buying into sectors that are going to benefit in this environment. And it's not tech and that's 25% of the S and P. Make sense, Victoria? Yeah, that makes sense. I guess my question is really around like accepting the losses of selling right now, um, since things are pretty far down from what I first bought. Well, that's, um, you know, that's a psychological thing that people that, that new investors have to get over. Taking losses is part of the business, part of investing. You have to put yourself in a position to succeed in this market. And you can't get tied up in positions just because you're at a loss. There's many times where that loss, um, you know, it, it, it's you're, you're remember, it's capital. At the end of the day, it's capital. And you need to be very choosy with your capital. And if you're always waiting to get back to even, that's opportunity cost that you can be putting into better positions. And I always use, always use the example of Cisco. It still hasn't gotten back to break even to its 2000 highs. Cisco, a company that's succeeded and grown consistently over 20 plus years. And if you were sitting there buying, you bought it near the highs, you're, you're tying up that capital for 20 years, just to get back to even think of all the great businesses, all the great companies you could have invested that money in that have done much better than Cisco. And so don't get caught up in taking small losses. Not a big deal. Focus on what works in this market. Now let's pivot to the Investoc voice bank for a question that came in earlier from Nevada. Hi, this is Justin in Sparks, Nevada. I bought Target about nine months ago, and it's been going down quite a bit, I don't know, the last few months, and just asking if it's something that will recover or if I just bought it way too high, and it's just going to continue to go down. Just didn't know if I should sell it and move on, but if everything I sell just goes up after I sell it, so I don't really want to do that unless you think it's going to continue to go down. Just let me know what you think. Thank you. Well, I will say Target is a very well-run company. It is a consistent, strong business, good cash flows, and it benefited greatly from the pandemic, earned only $6 per share in 2020, $9 in 2021, uh, 2022, uh, $13.56. So this is, I remember this is, their fiscal year is a bit odd. I think it like ends in the first quarter, uh, something like that. So anyway, so this year they're expected to make $14.50, $15 next year, but I don't think that's going to stick. Um, and there's been a lot of tailwinds with consumer uh, wallets being padded with stimulus. And now you're getting the anti-stimulus, which is high, our higher gas prices. So I see some headwinds here. Uh, probably if it was cheap, I would say, hold on to it. But the problem is, is it's not cheap and it's currently trading. Our fair value is closer to $150 per share. And now it's trading at 216. So it's a good company. Like I said, return on equity historically is very strong, but right now the return equity is 50%. Historically, the return on equity is high teens, low 20% range. Uh, so I want to own this company longer term, but I'm afraid near term, there's probably more pain. So it depends on your time horizon. 
you're willing to to, uh, to to hold through the pain, you're willing to pick up shares continuously on dips to um, maybe average down over the long term, which typically isn't the greatest strategy. But with a, a strong, consistent, strong, uh, uh, strong name like Target, I have no problem with that. Um, but it is overvalued currently. So I do see near term headwinds. But I like it on anyone's watch list. It's on my watch list. It just needs to be uh, sub 150 for me to get excited about it. Now we're already into the second trading week of March. So 2022 is moving right along. And are you prepared? Just like that previous caller asking about, hey, I'm indexing. I know that means I'm set up poorly. Uh, how do I how do I get better? How do I actually make profits in this market? That's really what it's all about. The indexes are down 10%, but if you're in the right areas of the market, like we are, you're probably up on the year. So how do you succeed in this environment? Well, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, where we provide free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. So we can talk about your portfolio. We look at the overall risk that you're taking, the sector breakdown, are you overweight? certain sectors that you shouldn't be? Are you have too much in large cap growth or mid cap, um, you know, core? Uh, are you overweight certain asset classes like bonds or commodities? What does your broad asset allocation look like? And that's what we do on these portfolio review assessments. So if you need some guidance, we're here to help in any way. And we can provide that unbiased guidance both on and off air. And we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to reach out to us if you need any help at all. Next up, we will go to a live call from San Clemente, California, just right down the road from me. This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Andrew, just a little ways down from me in San Clemente. He wants to talk about brokerage accounts for grandkids. Yeah, hey, hey, Justin. Um, I've got uh, four grandkids, uh, ranging from eight months to uh, four years, and um, and I think uh, for the oldest one, I'm, I, I, I think I want to open up a brokerage account, um, mm -hmm. and I'm not really sure how how, how that works. Um, so I was going to do a 529, but I I think I I think I want to uh, lean toward a, a brokerage account. What what are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, so this is a perfect opening for either an UTMA or an UGMA. So there's the Uniform Gifts to Minors Act or the Uniform Transfer to Minors Act. And they are basically, when you put the money in these accounts, it becomes the property of the miner and only used for their benefit. So that's the way I would go with it. Um, a Roth IRA is also great for kids if they have some sort of earned income and that can be in a lot of different ways. So, uh, you know, my 
for example, my girlfriend, she's, uh, she's a doctor. She has social, uh, social media and influencer. Um, occasionally her children are on, uh, the, the, uh, the account and she pays them. She has her own business, pays them as employees up to the amount that she can, uh, contribute to, uh, a Roth IRA. And so money each year goes into the Roth IRA. Um, so if they have some sort of earnings and you can find ways for them to get earned income, the Roth IRA is going to be a great way to go. If not, then I would go with an UTMA or a UGMA account. Okay, so what happens if, if, I, if I do some trading in that account and there's, there's a capital gains in that year? Do they have to pay some type of tax on that or how does that work? There is an exemption up to about $1,100 of any earnings for a year are exempt from federal income tax. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, actually, I have one, one more question. What if, what if I, I have an account and I uh, open an account for each one and I just use them, uh, put them as a beneficiary? So if, if, if I pass away, uh, are the ta tax consequences on what I paid for the um, stock at the time of purchase? Or the price that um, when I passed away and they end up selling the stock? Do you know the answer to So that when anyone passes away, uh, when it comes to cost basis on assets, uh, in this typical real estate or stocks, it's uh, just stepped up basis. So when you have this, uh, you pass away, then whatever the value of the, of the assets are at that, at that particular time. At that time, and then, yeah. like, say, um, a stock was at twenty dollars when I passed. If they sell it at thirty, then they only pay gains on the ten, as opposed to maybe I bought it at ten. It would yeah. Once again, this is a this is a tax question. I'm not great at tax questions, um, so I would definitely <laughs> consult with a CPA on that. Um, but I know, you know, these different types of accounts that are set up, kind of basic rules on on, on the yearly thing when it comes to. Passing away, uh, the tax consequences, et cetera. I would, I would refer to a CPA on that one. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Now let's pivot back to the Invest Talk voice bank for a question that came in earlier from a listener in Virginia. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Steve from Virginia. I want to ask you about Hack ETF, H as Henry A C K ETF. I have this ETF, and I'm wondering if I should sell now or keep it. Thank you for all you do. Bye-bye. Uh, I would definitely sell it. Uh, this is right in the heart of those overvalued growth names, and its average price-to-sales ratio is uh, extremely high, price-to-cash flow, etc. Um, and all these companies are, for the most part, are, are pretty expensive. Uh, and so it's in a downtrend, not the type of names that you want to be owning in this environment. Uh, now, it's gotten a bit of a bid because of the war and the worry of you know, Russian hacking and things like that. Um, but I don't think that's an increased risk um, above what it, is, what it was previously. So I think you use this opportunity to sell into the rally um, and reallocate towards, once again, real assets. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family 
about our free podcast downloads, which you can get anytime for free at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave a question with your rating, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.